The views expressed in our episodes are ours alone and do not represent any other organizations. Our episodes discuss internet crimes against children and cases that involve the exploitation of children and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, we don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to scare anybody. Hello and welcome to Catfish Cops. My name is Brandon Poor, and with you, me, you stumbled on your own name there. Uh, my name is Tony why. Godwin. I'm watching you mess with Skype, so <laughs> I uh, I appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, I know last episode we ended rather abruptly as we uh, had our conversation with Doctor Bark, and uh, we're happy to say that we are here to continue that because there's still a bunch of questions that. Our listeners have so. With that, uh, we would like to welcome back Dr. Michael Burke, welcome, and we Dr. Burke. we thank you very much for your time, sir. So thank you for coming back with us. We are hopefully fixed on a couple of our little technology issues. Um, although Tony's still messing with stuff, so who knows? But that's <laughs> what caught not. me to not know my name. But uh, welcome, Dr. Burke. Thank you again for being with us. Sure, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So we want to continue talking about um, some of the things we were last week with our studies, uh, with the talk about your study, the Butner study, and um, some of the things around the psychology of offenders um, that are are clearly have a sexual interest in children. What since your secondary study, which uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's that's called the Butner study Redux. Uh, no, so the. The the Butner Redux is actually the the first empirical look at this issue. Um, there was something that some people call the Butner study that was actually like a um, what we call a poster. It was just a, a presentation that was given at a professional conference okay. by Andres Hernandez. Um, but the the Butner Redux is the is when we when we went and and conducted the investigation. Uh, empirically, we we you know randomized the files that we were pulling from and put other kinds of uh, academic rigor in place as the Redux. The one that we did a couple of years after that, that kind of looked at um, uh, well, we we sort of satisfied some of those criticisms that had been um, put out there uh, is called tactical polygraph. It's um, it's 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 the use of the polygraph instrument on the ground soon as you know as soon as possible after someone is arrested for uh, a crime involving child pornography to try to assess to see if they have contact victims mm. that that paper was done with um, Lance Fragamelli and and Paul Detter and Marco Reardon and uh, a couple other folks that we did a, a few years uh, years later. Well, that's a, uh, a tactic that Brandon and I both use and employ when we're working these cases, the tactical, uh, the tactical polygraph, uh, man, it's phenomenal. Like, uh, I've had tremendous success with it. Um, you know, with that immediacy being there when you have, you know, I don't want it to sound terrible, but you know, you have this guy on the ropes, he's already admitted to these online offenses or the possession of these, uh, this imagery or these videos. And uh, obviously our bigger concern in the scope of things is whether they are actually a hands-on offender or not. And so being able to employ that is, has been tremendous, yeah. tremendous. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. That's actually the reason why we wanted to push that out there is there was, um, you know, there was pushback with using the polygraph in that way. And and we just wanted to, um, you know, we wanted to test it and, you know, very objectively and, and 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 make sure that there was a lot of scientific rigor. So people couldn't, you know, couldn't, uh, you know, give some reasons for not employing that technique. It is very effective. It's 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 you know, when it's used as an interviewing tool, um, you know, it can be it can be very powerful. I always tell people, you know, I'm, I'm a polygraph examiner, so I tell people that you know, the real utility isn't coming out of the room and saying to everybody, 
hey, this offender's a liar. <laughs> right, you know? right. <laughs> like, I mean, everybody knows he's a liar. His kids <laughs> right. know he's lying. His wife knows he's a liar. His boss knows he's a liar. It's it's what is he lying about? Yeah, right. And and so really, really, the poly, the, you know, tactical polygraph is just a a way to um, help direct the inquiries for investigators so they kind of know how to direct their energy and 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 go toward right. the right place because as you know interviews for 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 detectives and agents i mean that can be a really tiring process yeah, yeah. Uh, they can go on for many, many hours and you know you're, you're sort of just trying to wear this guy down but you're you're getting worn down as well so why yeah. not better you know strategize on on how to direct on a lot of interview strategies a lot of yeah. our interview yeah. is Try. I mean, you think about even just just the CSAM offense, like trying to get the offender out of the habit of lying to begin with is usually, to me, the first battle we try to overcome because nine out of ten times, if not ten out of ten times, when we go into someone's house for a child pornography offense, they are the only ones that know they've been doing it and no one in their life knows about it. So we're trying to get them to stop lying about it because that's all they've been doing. And now we're telling them to do what is absolutely against the grain, which is tell us everything. So it's a, to me, it's a big hurdle that we have to. But one of the things that helps, I think in those interviews is getting that offender to disclose. Yes, I've been downloading. Yes, I've done this. Uh, yes, this is where I get it. And, and so they make that initial disclosure and, and where I, because Brandon and I go all over the country to teach other law enforcement how to do this job. And so when we find other places, we see a lot of, uh, agencies get that admission, that disclosure that, yes, I've got this. And it's like, oh, bagged and tagged send them off and let's on get on to the one. next one. And, and that's not the way that we train people to do it. It's for us. That's when the investigation begins because now yes. we've got this hurdle that we've got one leg over, but we're not all the way over it. We need to find out what else is going on. And that's really where it begins for us. So that's what we advocate. That's how we teach. And uh, you know, whether that happens or not is another story, but <laughs> that's I what we try to do. Yeah. So that, that was absolutely that was absolutely my experience as well. I, I would say that eighty percent of my uh, the confessions that people were giving me followed two words, uh, which were "what else." Right. Yeah. Uh, once 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 they had decided to to tell you the truth, um, then it's just a matter of just cleaning out the the you know the cupboard. Then it's a matter of like. What about over here? What about when you were in the military? What about when you were living overseas? What about when you were here? And it's just have it's prompting their memory and say, oh yeah, there was one victim there. Oh yeah, I did do this right. when I was, you know, in the Coast Guard or whatever. And so it's just a matter of um, getting all of them, you know, just what else? What else? What else? So yeah. you're, I, I I would agree with you. That's my experience as well. One of the one of the questions, you know, we we polled our listeners uh, for a week or two uh, before doing this interview with you and asked because we have a dynamic of listeners who are a lot of parents, obviously, um, but there are a lot of law enforcement, a lot of prosecutors. Um, that do listen. And so we asked a lot of people, Hey, if you have questions, uh, we're definitely going to have the expert on. So give them to us. And this one came from a district attorney, uh, who asked, how are we able to obtain the best information possible about child sex offenders when we only ever see, uh, ever have an opportunity to study and learn from only the ones that have gotten caught. And so while we somewhat sort of address that a little in the, in our, previous episode with you, but, uh, I'm just curious what you think about that. Is there, because the caveat is pre they wrote, presumably there are more out there that will never learn that we'll never learn about simply because they're good at getting away with their crimes. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, this is, this is the problem. I mean, if you were trying to, if you were trying to research other criminal, you know, other criminals, you know, you're probably not going to be able to study the godfathers of, you know, the organized crime world. I mean, you're not going to get access to, you know, capos and consigliaries and you right. know, the, the head. Huh? I mean, that's just the nature of the beast is sometimes you just have to make do with what you have. 
I would say, though, that um, the Internet has allowed certainly allowed a lot of deviance. I mean, you know, the three of us are, are in many of your listeners are going to be very, very present to all the evils that it can occur on the Internet. But from a research perspective, it also allows us an insight and an opportunity to look at, um, you know, how people behave, uh, the cognitive distortions they use, the way they groom. The, there's a lot about sexual offending that we can glean from the Internet by just watching what they're doing online. So in some of these chat rooms and in some of these um, these areas where they're communicating with one another um, through pedophile manuals that are out there, um, these are very rich sources of information from people that have never been caught. Yeah. Um, so. So I don't know that the DA is, 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 you know, I mean, I get what he or she is asking, but I think that there there are researchers who look at uh, sexual offending online within networks that um, where where the folks haven't been caught. There's fascinating work that was Dutch, done by the Dutch police that looks uh, looks at network analyses and uh, Madeline Vordebergen uh, is the primary author of some of that work. And uh, she also just uh, recently finished a couple papers with the FBI and looking at, you know, what roles people play in some of these sophisticated networks. So, you know, the administrators, the, the sort of the, the people who are the technological gurus in the group, the people who are recruiting people, the people who are you know, all these different roles that people play. And all of that is done by examining networks and interactions between the subjects. And these are not people in custody. Um, This is just someone watching how they behave Mm. from within the network itself by basically infiltrating the network. So I think the internet actually does allow us to see a lot about sexual criminality from people that have not been caught. You know, we just have to delve into those areas. It just takes watching. Well, and that brings up a question I had about, um, and I'll kind of lump two questions into one so that you, our listeners can hear less of us and more of you. Um, a, why it doesn't seem like there have been many studies into online offenders, save for your work, um, and maybe we're just not aware of the others that have been done. So I'd like to know, like, what are those other studies that might look at online sexual predators against children and, and some of the work that's being done there? But also, do you find that the study of online offenders changes because of changes in applications and the internet, how it's evolved in the last, I mean, even the last five years has, has changed the internet vastly, or do you think it's more foundational, um, in your studies of the offenders, regardless of whether it's online or not? So that's two, you know, two, maybe three questions in there, but, uh, so there are a number of studies and people looking at online criminality from different perspectives there are some folks that are looking at, um, you know, one of the areas that is receiving uh, an appropriately uh, increasing amount of attention is uh, juveniles who are committing offenses with other juveniles. So it's an increasing problem with self-produced images, with children who are, you know, coercing, encouraging, sometimes even to the point of sort of blackmailing or extorting other students right. to engage in sex explicit behavior. And so that's a big head scratcher right now in, in the world, because that's not something that historically we've had to deal with is that every teenager has a phone. Actually, now a lot of elementary school kids right. have phones and the type of exploitation that's occurring, you know, now between peers and what will those kids, how will their sexuality develop and what will that look like when they're adults having been immersed in sexuality from a very early age and, you know, do are certain things getting normalized? We, We have seen trends where certain sexual behavior is being normalized in the real world because it's like, well, like that's nothing. You should right. see what we what what I'm exposed to online. Um, so that's an area of research. Uh, we also have people that look at grooming behaviors online, the ways that offenders groom children. And to your second point, 
how do those things evolve with the advent of new technology? So it is the way they groom someone on a gaming platform, you know, is that different from how they groom someone on, you know, through Facebook or through so, some other social media or what have you? How how does the methodology change? How are they evading parental, you know, controls? Um, you know, how, how are they luring and, and what ages? And also the difficulty there is when you jump to another country, unlike other areas of research, when you jump to another country, sometimes they have completely different apps. Even up in Canada, their teens use different apps than what our right. teens do. So their predators are using different apps. And so sometimes you can't even really like with many other things, I could collaborate with my Irish colleague, my Australian colleague, and it would be seamless. And now they're like, what the heck? What what was that app that right, you were talking right. about? We don't have that, mate. You know, we've got this. We've got this one. So, you know, there's some challenges for sure when you talk about how fast the technology is changing and whether law enforcement can keep up with, you know, it seems like the predators are jumping on the technology and, and almost one step behind the kids, whereas we're trying to stay one step behind the offenders. Yeah. And, and therefore, we're a couple steps behind the kids, you know. So um, it, there's definite challenges with regard to that technology and the way the way uh, sexual offenders are evolving is um, it's sometimes it's it's so scary how fast they're able to adapt, um, you know, to. Uh, but, you know, they're they're predators and they're looking for prey. You know, the the metaphor is that there's a lion out there on the savanna who's looking for prey. You know, he doesn't really care if there's a gazelle that's stuck in the mud or there's a young gazelle or an old gazelle or a blind gazelle. It doesn't matter. Right. They're simply looking for the best way and the best place to find the most victim, potential victims. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the predator mentality. And and the more predatory they are, they're, the more adept they become at finding out where the prey exists. Well, it's I'm, hard for parents, too. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up, uh, mentioning the gaming side of things. Just simply, that was one of my questions is, um, and, and I think just to piggyback off of what you said there with the grooming aspect, the only thing different I, I think I see from a boots on the ground kind of guy that, you know, sees this day in and day out and works cases proactively and reactively is that element of grooming of the parents, like you mentioned, I think in our previous episode, um, where typically if given the chance, these offenders will groom the parents just as much as they groom the kids and gain that trust where I think in the gaming situation, at least what I'm seeing, there's so many kids who are online unchecked, uh, you know, with, with no boundaries or no parental controls in place on any level. And so the element of the, well, the parents don't know to be yeah, afraid. And, yeah. And they're not, they're not savvy enough to know the technology to know what's going on. They assume, Oh, my kid's on there playing a game and they don't get the context that, well, yeah, but that game has a chat function and has a video function and a streaming function. And, and so maybe, uh, but like you said, uh, you know, these predators are going to go where the prey are. And, and um, you know, that's I don't think that's changed in evolution. <laughs> that's just the way it goes. And mm-hmm. sadly, we're having to play catch up with, uh, you know, with all that. But uh, that was that was interesting to note. Was there a question there? Well, no, because he kind of already answered it in the in what he said. So, okay, well, thanks, Brandon. Well, Appreciate sorry, you for punking I, me out there. I thought Dr. we Burke. wanted to hear from Doctor Burke, not Tony and Brandon. But uh. no, I mean, I mean, I think I think you're trying to. I mean, what what I hear you saying is that is is it, it, it is also you know answering that question of whether this is foundational or whether it's something that's new and emerging, and and it's kind of both, right? Because right. that that predator mentality is is so primitive and so foundational, but, but the technology is just, is the slippery side um, where because of the ignorance of the parents, because parents don't really know what to look for, how things work, you know, I mean, a lot of times their kids are the ones installing the 
child safety software on, their, <laughs> on the phones and stuff, you know, yeah. the, the parents aren't, aren't even, you know, what's net nanny or whatever. Like, Don't what worry is, about know, that I, kill switch. That doesn't mean anything, mom. Yeah. Yeah. How do, how do I monitor you son or daughter? Um, so, you know, and I think that that the offenders really are taking advantage of that. Um, and a lot of times we'll see an offender that may, <laughs> meet a child on a platform that is more well-known, right? The parents are familiar with certain social media, may use them themselves, but very quickly they're going to ask them to move to a lesser-known app, to a lesser-known platform, um, knowing full well that the chances of the parent having that particular app are very slim. Right. And um, and so they're they're moving it out of the area that the parents are 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 familiar with, which means, of course, the parents can't protect as well. Yeah. And the offenders know that they're 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 trying to remove that one sheep from the protective herd. And, and, you know, and I would also add that, you know, I've done some consultation with like youth serving organizations and, and, and uh, you know, religious, uh, you know, denominational groups and things like that. And it's it's not just the parents that these guys are grooming. They're grooming our youth-serving organizations. They're trying to. They groom youth sport. They're grooming our churches and temples. They're anywhere where the, the, there's a potential to gain access to a child, there is usually a protective system around the child. So they're going to try to, you know, worm their way into that subcommunity, into that subculture. So it's not just the parents. I I think we need to do a, a a much better job of you know developing a protective structure in other settings. Yeah. You know, I think uh, I would say Boy Scouts in particular, not to you know name any particular group, but they've done a phenomenal job of actually you know taking this situation that you know was in the media and whatnot, but they developed this incredible youth protection system where everybody has to get trained. The scouts have to get trained. The leaders have to get trained. Everyone becomes a mandated reporter. Everyone is trained what to look for. Every there's too deep leadership. There's, you know, there's this, all these rules. And now the offenders are like, and don't go over there. Like they're, they're, they're nuts. Like you can't even take a kid to go look at a turtle 20 feet off of the trail. And that's absolutely true. You can't. So for them, it's Great. like you've salted the fields. Yeah. yeah. So what happens if we could? What happens if we could salt the fields with little league? What happens if we could salt the fields with youth wrestling? What happens if we could salt the fields with swimming and salt the fields in our churches and temples where we just train people not to be paranoid, but just what to look for, how to be vigilant. Yeah. So that we form this it, vigilance. Let's take the prey will, away. <laughs> vi- Sorry. We'll just take the prey away from the predator. Yeah. There's no way. Build the fence is a little bit higher. Yeah. And the wolves are just like, damn it. I mean, it doesn't take a a massive amount of, like I said, it's not about being paranoid, but vigilance will kill grooming. I love it. Vigilance will will destroy their ability to worm their way into this child's life because there's just going to be too many people that are like, "Um, why don't you come with me? Uh, sir, right. I need you to, you know, I mean, I love that's it. all it takes. Che- yeah. Checks and balances like that. I mean, that's just, that's really brilliant. Um, how do we get that to go global? How do you get, how yeah. do you get that to go country, nationwide, you know, nationwide, country, country by country? Yeah. How, how does that happen? Yeah. How, you know, how do you educate people to do that? That's what I want to know. So, I mean, I, I have seen, I mean, and, and I am heartened by this because this, you know, our field is one in which we could. We could sit around, you know, over a, a cold adult malted beverage, the three of us here, and we could share a lot of stories of darkness and a lot of stories of, you know, of just the dark side of human beings. Yeah. But, you know, but also I I have been present now to a lot of energy and efforts toward, you know, it's we, we weren't the quickest to catch up with the technology, with what was happening online, with understanding the dangers. We're not, you know, as a culture, we weren't the fastest. Right. Um, but, but I would say that now that we're here, 
I have seen more internet safety presentations in schools, more school resource officers that are cognizant of what's happening in their schools, more teachers that are educated about signs to look for. Um, the IPC program, the Interdiction for the Protection of Children program, which came out of Texas uh, Department of Public Safety, yes. trains officers during roadside traffic stops to recognize signs of child exploitation, right. trains them on emojis to look for, trains them on you know all sorts of signs. So I think that these efforts are getting out there. Um, I've been consulted by major uh, religious groups to say, how can we put in a program that will increase vigilance in, you know, in our, in our, in our churches, temples, synagogues, whatever. And yeah. I think, you know, I, I, I see it, you know, it's a big ship to turn, but I do see that starting. Yeah. And, and certainly, it. certainly people, when you give someone the opportunity, this isn't something that like you could go to an average parent or an average person who's responsible for youth, a teacher, principal, whatever. This isn't one of those things that you could say, Hey, would you be interested in learning or having your staff learn a little bit more about how to protect little kids. Right. You know, I mean, there's no one is going to say, oh, no, I think we're good. Everyone's like, yeah. I mean, right. you know, as long as you're reputable or what have you, people are like, yeah, we would be interested in that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's there. Yeah, right. I, I, I think it's happening. Yeah, it's, you know, it's uh, man, it's encouraging to hear that. And, and especially the way you phrased it, it just like hits the nail on the head um, for us, you know, uh, you know, we're so passionate about this and, and yes, the, the depravity of what we have seen and are, are still seeing and exposed to is terrible. Uh, but our, our goal, we see the forest through the trees. We see that we want to do bigger and better things and more things. And we want to, we want to be proactive in protecting kids, um, you know, here in our community, but not just our community. We want to do it, you know, throughout our state and throughout our country and, globally. Uh, so that's a really interesting dynamic, which we have talked about. We just, I don't know that we've ever used the the terminology that you use. So we may steal a little bit of that from you, sir, but we'll <laughs> definitely give you the credit. I'm going to ask a listener <laughs> no, question. I'm, I'm not interested in, uh, when it comes to child exploitation, I have uh, just about zero interest in credit. So it's yours. <laughs> that's how we um, say But, you know, I, I think it's also a, a, a tough thing because people, like stats and they like to focus or they, they don't know i shouldn't say they like it but they're they're drawn to yeah. arrest statistics and they're drawn to you know how many kids are exploited and how many but we also have to take a step back because what's not what, what's what's much less tangible is and it's more abstract is is the data on that comes from prevention efforts right our, our real successes truthfully yours mine isn't how many people we arrested yeah they like that's that's really not it right and if we start saying well let's count the arrests and let's count how many bad guys i put away well i would rather count how many kids right now are walking around who have not been abused or exploited because of our collective yes. actions right. and those of our brothers and sisters out there yeah. who are doing this fight innocence that has not been lost. Right. Yes. Victimization that has not occurred. And so, yeah, prevention is not arresting. Prevention is stopping it from ever happening to begin with. And prevention doesn't show up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know the answer to that. Right. It's, it's, it's ethereal. It's, it's abstract. And so, therefore, a lot of people that are in this field and a lot of people that are like, gosh, do you think that there's any light at the end of the tunnel? Do you think, do you see any hope? And we got to be careful because we're, we're what we're seeing every day, you know, when, when right. we're working on the ground and you're churning in the ground, you're looking at the damn, 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 there's no hope. Every time I turn around, there's another guy. Every time I turn around, the images are getting worse. Yeah, every right. time I turn around, their collections are getting larger. Yes. And you're increasing awareness, yeah. case law, legislation, a movement uh, you know, educating youth serving organizations, educating religious institutions, educating sports, coaches, awareness in our communities, awareness with teenagers. And all of this stuff is moving this ship where we're actually preventing things. You're not going to see it. Yeah. You're not going to ever walk. A child will never walk past you in a mall and you will know that because of what you did three years ago, yeah. that guy didn't abuse that kid yeah. last week. 
Right. Well, one of the things like, and we mentioned it in our in the previous episode where you were talking about uh, health and wellness uh, for officers that are exposed to this kind of stuff. And so I know I mentioned like, you know, uh, how I've been in this game a long time and so has Brandon, but um, the evolution of the mindset and it makes me think that this is maybe one of the ways to tackle it because if you would have asked me 15 years ago, would your agency be supportive if you came forward to your division chief or your captain or your lieutenant or your sergeant or whoever and said, you know what, that uh, kind of messed me up and I need to talk to somebody. I would have said, one, I would have never done that 15 years ago. If, if 15 years ago you would have said, yes, your chief would have supported you and sent you and said, oh, my gosh, let's take you off the street for a week and send you to talk to somebody and good for you for stepping up. I would have said that'll never happen, but here we are 15 years later and that's happening daily. So maybe from the standpoint of the riding the ship or turning the ship. So you, as you mentioned to, to encapsulate a good, you know, checks and balanced uh, approach um, and safety measures, maybe that's maybe you know, that's the way to go that it just, you get to the highest levels of some of these uh, groups or these organizations or these uh, leaders in the community to say, look, this is how it has to be. You, you have to encompass this into one, um, one sphere and this is how it always will be. So that in five years from now, it's just the way it is. So we'll remove that prey of that kid. Then you know, and, and maybe I'm thinking too, I'm having a pious thought of <laughs> something, but in my mind, I'm thinking that that's the way to, to approach it. That would be the way to tackle it is so that eventually three, four, five, six, ten 10 years from now, well, we don't let that kid go look at that turtle with that adult uh, because, you know, we've, everyone, that's everyone the way we've always done it. It's the way yeah. we've always done it. Just like, exactly. new, yeah, just like new recruits coming in now, you know, understanding that, they get a mentor to themselves before they even start the academy. Yeah. Um, and they have that mentor with them throughout the whole academy uh, and, and throughout their whole career. It's just the way you do things. And well, so, and related to that, this was a question that I thought of um, <laughs> after we've heard you speak in other arenas, if an offender comes <laughs> forward wanting to seek help, they know like, this is my interest. I have a sexual interest in children, but there's a stigma around that or a fear of prosecution or something like that. How do we, how do we allow an offender? Because look, uh, the, the forgiveness and sympathy goes way down once you've just committed the act rather than sought help first, obviously from everyone. So how would someone who realizes they have that sexual interest in children come forward and seek that help first before offending or is there is that stigma just going to be too much for them to bear? Well, I think that's a matter of some education. I mean, I think that they need to. Um, they, we we probably need to do a better job of explaining the limits of confidentiality and what what they are able to disclose. I mean, because the truth is that someone can walk into any therapist, any any licensed clinician, psychiatrist, psychologist, licensed social worker, what have you, and say. I have some thoughts that are bothering me and, and, and they involve kids and they involve, you know, these sexual prurient sexual interests, whatever. And they're not going to get, you're not going to call the police. Right. Okay. There can be someone that comes in and says, I'm thinking about using heroin. They're not going to call the police. Right. You know, these are not this, that isn't how therapy works. If it did, then no one would ever come in, you know, in a way where we could help them prevent doing something really harmful, whether it was suicide or drug use or sexual offending or whatever. So, there is a context, the therapeutic context, which allows them a degree of safety. Now, obviously, if they are abusing a child um, or there's imminent harm and things like that, then those are things that that, you know, fall into exceptions. But those are explained right at the outset. Most clinicians handle that like immediately yeah. because you need to, you know, you need to go over the boundaries because you don't want someone coming in and going, oh, by the way, uh, nice to meet you. I'm suicidal. You, and now you can't do anything about it because, like, actually, I can. You didn't give me a chance to explain. Yeah. Um, but I am going right. to put you in the hospital, you know. So <laughs> so these are things that are articulated. But once that's known, I think a lot of people that have these 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 urges and inclinations and predilections, 
they they would be surprised at how much they are able to participate meaningfully in treatment, to work on all of the underlying issues, because often there's social things, self-esteem, they're not getting their, their needs met in healthy relationships because there's communication issues and self-confidence and um, depression, sometimes underlying depression. Um, and once those things, once we address all of those things, then what we find is the person's in a much better you know, place and is at much less risk, frankly, than to go out and, and, and commit an act against a child. So we need to do a better education. I mean, I think your point is well taken. Um, are we doing a phenomenal job explaining or getting that word out as to what those No, we kind of have to wait until they take the first step and yeah. it's a catch 22 because they're scared. And yeah. so we, we never are able right. to meet with them face to face. Well, if, um, you know, an ounce of prevention yeah. is a pound of cure, then, uh, you know, we want to be the people who are saying as much as we want to say we want to end it and we'll arrest anyone that harms a child. We also want to be the ones that are saying, if you're having this thought before offending, go seek yeah, help. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, they and, you know, I don't want to make it sound like this is an, an inevitable catch 22 over in Europe and uh, Australia. They, they are trying innovative techniques to try to get the word out. And Germany in particular um, did something interesting a few years ago, but trying to get the word out and saying, if you have these thoughts, there's a safe place where you can come and, and discuss yeah. these. And they have splash, what they call splash pages. So if you attempt to go to certain sites in Australia, it'll come up with this splash page explaining. But it's not like this threatening, you're going to go to jail and blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, if you're having these thoughts, you know, these are problematic. This is not only illegal, but it's distressing and can cause issues in your life and your family. Here are some, there's a hotline, you know, here's, here's places, resources confidentially where you can talk to somebody and you can find out what your options are. So, I mean, I think that that's an innovative idea because you're getting people already who are going to those sites or putting it into a search engine. You know, once certain keywords are put into a search engine, Hey, it looks like you're looking for this kind of material. And, you know, that might be a place to, well, we we somewhat do that already in society with gambling, right? We see that, um, you go, uh, go anywhere where there's gambling and you're going to see all kinds of hotlines and signs and different things like that. Even if you go to, you know, online, your fantasy football or DraftKings or whatever, you're always going to see some banner or splash ad that tells you, hey, if you have this problem. So and I know there are organizations trying that. I, I think of Thorn. Um, that yeah. I know they're mm-hmm. trying that yeah. approach Absolutely. to end it. Yeah, that's uh, that's yeah. That's really good thinking. Uh, one we of have, our, oh yeah, I was going to say we have a couple of listener questions we'd like to throw because sure. we have really awesome, supportive listeners, and uh, I want to honor the people that sent in a couple before we run out of time. So go ahead. Sure. Uh, so one of our uh, big super fans, her name is Ann. She's from uh, Meridian, Idaho. She's such a great lady. Uh, first, she wanted to know if you are an author of any books because she's um, in the um, she's in the healthcare industry or healthcare field, and so she would love to read any books if you've authored. And so I don't really know the answer to that question. Uh, so, so books. Um, there is only one book that I've co-edited, and so I've I, I've not authored it. I co-edited it. It's called. Um, the Handbook of Behavioral Criminology with uh, uh, it's, uh, Dr. Vincent Van Hasselt is my co-editor, so it's Van Hasselt and Burke. So not a co- um, not a coffee table book necessarily. For- <laughs> no, it's um, it would be more of a yeah, <laughs> it's more of an academically uh, oriented book. But it goes, it's actually quite interesting. But uh, if if someone does have an interest in like criminality in general, because uh, we have an investigator on people on um, uh, matriarchal filicide. So mothers who kill their children, we've got serial killers, spree killers, sexual offending, internet offending. Uh, Dr. Joe Sullivan wrote one of the chapters and um, lots of, you know, famous, I guess, quote unquote, uh, people have written What's um, that chapters in their respective areas. Tell us the name huh? of that and where she can find that. Okay, so it's the handbook of behavioral criminology. And the authors are Van Hasselt, V-A-N-H-A-S-S-E-L-T, Vincent, and Burke, B-O-U-R-K-E, Michael. 
Um, that just came out uh, about a year and a half ago, maybe. Uh, we have the, some of the top, like I said, the top profilers and top um, experts in some of these uh, areas uh, that each did a chapter on their particular area of expertise. Um, and uh, nice. that's a it, it's a cool book. Uh, but um, and you can also download it because it, 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 it's a little bit expensive in hardcover, but you can download it. Um, and then uh, I'm in the process of writing a book right now for clinicians who uh, more along the lines of the safeguarding or staff wellness stuff. It's clinicians who work. It's a it's a handbook for clinicians who work with first responders, both firefighters, EMS, corrections, police officers. So that's that's in the works right now. Great. And I do a lot of training. So it's it's mostly training that I try to get the word out rather than the books. Right. Awesome. Um, well, I'll be happy to pass that along to her. I know she'll be. Uh, Want to go to this third one? Yeah, go ahead. The the Anne would like you to discuss if pedophilia is a symptom of a deeper mental illness, a learned behavior from the individual's past as a child of their own abuse, or some other psycho or personality defect um, that causes the individual to see children as sex objects? Yeah, that's a really great question, and that would probably be a podcast of in itself. <laughs> I know, some of these questions the, uh, are so good. In and of itself. Uh, the short answer is we don't really know where... Um, most of the sexual disorders come from, quote unquote. It's probably a little bit of nurture and a little bit of nature, like many things in psychology. Um, there seems to be some, uh, and some of the brain mapping studies, uh, pedophiles show up a little bit differently. Um, it, uh, pedophiles are more likely to be left-handed. Pedophiles are more likely to be slightly shorter. Pedophiles are more likely... Uh, to, to um, have a sl slightly lower IQ, there's certain things that are organically based that um, that people don't, you know, you can't learn or unlearn those things. There just seems to be uh, these interesting statistically significant correlations. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but there um, there are other situations and things that can happen um, that can sort of strengthen those drives and mitigate inhibitors and stuff like that. What I can tell you, though, in the interest of time, the most important thing is that pedophilia and sexual interest in children or teenagers does not come from being sexually abused. Yes. Being sexually abused is not a causal factor for becoming a sex offender. The vast majority of people who are sexually abused have zero interest in ever committing those acts against another human being. They are survivors. They're victims. They're survivors. They're not offenders. They weren't, we call it the vampire syndrome because there's this legend that, you know, once they were victimized, they're now, you know, infected with yeah, the right. desire to commit crimes against others. And Dr. Anna Salter's book, Predators, is a phenomenal and very inexpensive uh, primer on sadists and psychopaths who are also sex offenders. And she addresses this in a brilliant way. Um, but, you know, this this is not a causal factor. And most sex offenders have not been sexually abused. Mm. Um, the, the, you know, many, the overwhelming majority of sex offenders have never been sexually abused. So, in fact, one of the best studies that ever looked at correlates of becoming a sex offender uh, found that the uh, a higher correlate to being sexually abused was being physically abused. Ah, so right. if you actually wanted a causal factor, you'd actually be better off asking him or her if they were beaten rather than if they were ever molested. So that's one right. of the myths that we have in society is a lot of these offenders go up and they're, you know, the ex the explanation is, well, when they're little and then they, they, had, they had trouble processing it and all this kind of stuff. And it's all a bunch of malarkey. It's yeah. not, right. it's not, uh, not a correlate. So uh, I want to bring up this last question. Uh, well, I think it'll be close to our last. Yeah, one. we're we're probably running out of time, and we want to be respectful of Dr. Burke's time. So we will ask one final question. Uh, and so that question is: Is the psychology the same for a female offender versus a male offender? Why don't <laughs> we see more female offenders, especially when you're talking about online offenders? 
Yeah, we don't know the answer to that one either. You guys are asking me all the questions. That, um, <laughs> that display. We've been listening for a our, long time, so we're, our, we're yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it says something about your audience that, that they're asking some of these key questions because these these really are the things that we're wrestling with as an academic community. Um, I, I I'll tell you. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give that, that person who asked that question a kind of a partial answer, and I'll apologize for the fact that we just don't know too much about them yet. But one of the things that we notice is that females drop out of this criminal justice system at every stage. And by that, I mean female offenders are less likely to be reported, um, especially if it's a male victim and a teenage victim. I mean, most male teens who are abused by a female school teacher don't see themselves as victims, for example. Right. Um, they may even see that as a conquest or they see them that as a socially appropriate. If they tell a family member that their math teacher abused them or had sex with them or sexually abused them in the, in, you know, in this, in the school classroom, uh, their uncle is not likely to see them as a victim. Right. He's likely to pat him on the back and if anything, it prompts a conversation about condoms yeah. or, right. you know, it doesn't it doesn't strike him to call police because his nephew's been raped. Um, so boys are less likely to disclose. It's not less. It's not as um, taken seriously by people to whom it's reported. It doesn't get reported to police. It doesn't get picked up by prosecutors. It's not a great case. Um, they tend not to get the uh, hard as harsh sentences by right. the judge. There's this whole like. Really? Look at her. She's 118 pounds soaking wet. She's a predator. Really? She's a she's an offend. I mean, come on. She made a mistake. She, right. you know, she, poor judgment. You know, she I'm just going to tell her not to do it again. And I'm sure she won't. She looks like a nice lady. It's this these stereotypes and these gender based assumptions that um, they're, they're, so women don't get the same sentence lengths. They don't get placed on the registry that everything falls out. Yeah. So there is a much greater incidence of abuse by women um, that never that never shows up in our records and doesn't get studied. Um, but having said that, there is still, particularly online, there does appear this does appeal appear to be very um, extremely uh, male dominated uh, crime. So um, we're still, you know, we're still getting to the bottom of that. I mean, some of it's the back to that power and control stuff. Men generally, you know, the testosterone linked with aggression, linked with violence, much more common in males and, you know, going back to stereotypes. So that type of criminality plays a little bit more into those male dynamics. Mm. Um, but the females that I've treated and assessed um, are tend to be very dangerous, at least when they come to my attention, uh, very sadistic. Mm. Um, they can be quite cruel. Right. Um, there's also the ones that, you know, I mean, they, they also run the gamut, but I guess what I'm saying is we, we shouldn't assume that even when they commit a sexual offense, that it's this maternal, soft, gentle kind of, yeah. you know, and not, they can be quite brutal. In, in the acts that they commit. Yeah, we know that it's kind of the unicorn uh, in in this industry, so to speak, to latch on to. But, you know, Brandon and I have both worked cases uh, involving female offenders. And so, um, you know, it certainly does beg the question um, if there had been any research on it, because I think we would both agree, you know, we see that even though in our individual cases, I think they were probably handed some pretty harsh sentences for what we would normally see, you know, regularly. Uh, but I would agree. I think they're just as equally as dangerous. But it, it's interesting to know that, you know, statistically, there's just not a bunch of yeah information it's, it's out rare. there. We just, I mean, I don't see it very often. And when I do, it's usually the female is attached to a male offender, uh, it seems, in the cases that I've had. So, you know, back in back in the day that that used to be the explanatory uh, um, I mean, that's used to be how the academics explained it is like, well, if a woman would do this, it's probably because she was coerced by a man. And that was back into that like stereotype that people had a hard time thinking that Aunt Jane or, you know, Ms. Smith, your your algebra teacher would be doing this. And um, but what we know now is that certainly there are some. Uh, right. who act right. in concert with males or at the behest of males. 
Um, like in the trafficking situation, it's not uncommon for a bottom girl or a, you know, or a female pimp to be engaging right. in sexual abuse of the minors. Um, but um, there are many females that are committing sexual, uh, you know, acts of sexual abuse and exploitation, um, taking photos, uh, transmitting child abuse images, etc. And there's no men involved. Yeah, right. Um, right. They're 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 profiteers, and they can be pedophilic. So. You know, it's um, it's just something that we're looking at for research to occur. We have to have good data. And there's not a lot of, you know, treatment programs for women until recently. The Bureau of Prisons, Federal Bureau of Prisons didn't even have a sex offender treatment program for women. Wow. So now there is now there is. And those numbers are growing. Um, so, you know, I think maybe maybe the um, Internet is allowing us to see something that really has been a bit invisible, but uh, undetected right. for a while. Well, I think that brings us to the end of today uh, and our time with Dr. Burke. Again, right. we are cannot express to you our gratitude of you joining us uh, and for for sharing your expertise with us. Um, clearly, I think our listeners are going to want to seek out uh, more of your research and your work and listening to um, and finding out more about what you've done. And so, they should. <laughs> so, they should. Uh, we're going to try and get some resources that we include with the podcast that some links to some places, but um, I'm sure you're out there to be Googled and, and found on, on that <laughs> ever expanding internet. Well, I'm, a, I'm actually hoping to set up a website pretty soon. I'm uh, trying to do it myself, which is more challenging. than I thought. Oh, so, trust us. We know. Uh, <laughs> I say, trust us. We are very aware. There's a, for two guys who spend all day on the internet, you know, in the arena we spend it on, we're terrible at our at our own uh, you yeah. know technology. podcast side of thing and technology. We're terrible at it. It's, gosh, it's a lot yeah, of work. I have a lot of respect. I have a lot of respect now for website designers. Oh yes. my god, now I get it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so eventually I'll have a website up, and your listeners are more. Lore. I'm also hoping to have resources and recommended books and things like that. Um, that so, would be yeah, awesome. Your listeners, if they want a couple of interesting books, I would recommend Predators by Anna Salter. I've already mentioned that. Um, certainly they can pick up my book if they want to. And then um, there's, uh, there's a, a really interesting book called A Billion Wicked Thoughts. And I probably have it on my shelf here behind me, but I think it's like I'm not going to be able to uh, I'm not going to be able to Oh, here it is. It's uh, uh, it's a billion wicked thoughts by Ogas O G A S and Gadam. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. G A D D A M, and that's a really interesting look at internet um, sexual uh, behavior on the internet. So awesome. you can check that out. We'll Man. cite that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. And and uh, again, sure. just to echo, you know, thank you for your time. We know you carved it out. Uh, specifically for us, and we're super appreciative of that. I know our listeners are going to gain, uh, you know, exponentially with everything that's been mentioned, and and uh, we're just really, really, we were really pumped to have you, and we're really pumped uh, to let the listeners have a, a listen at all this. So we thank you very much. All right, with sure. that, we'll talk to you guys again soon, and see you next week with another episode of Catfish Cops. <laughs>